it's your turn to do the intro, Andrew. Welcome back to the Ag Watchers podcast. A, uh, a just the two of us update. It's, it goes Talk. to show goes to show how little we do this one because we both did, you know didn't want to do the intro. Now we have the guest doing the intro. Usually, it's uh, a lot. It's just it's just woeful, isn't it? Like it's harder than you think, and especially when we don't. Most of the the funny thing is most of the guests who come on the podcast actually prepare for it. Or why? Well, or if it's but, sprung on them at the last minute, they do a better job still. <laughs> but we don't prepare for the podcast at all, regardless. So, um, well, so we yeah. write down on the back of an envelope what we're going to talk about. Well, we write down what? What's the name again? Well, we Dave, don't write down. Dave, well, we don't write Dave, down. We just David Big David, David Big Proud or something. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. Bigfoot. Bob, Bob Dogger. I don't know. <laughs> um. Anyway, it's it's hard to bloody remember all the names of these people. Uh. So, what I was going to say, uh, a quick market update mm-hmm. for the listeners. What's happening in yep. the marketplace? Mm-hmm. We'll maybe start with the old livestock uh, before we yeah, go. Well, we've actually to... seen. Yeah, we, well, yeah, we've seen. We've seen some. Like we had a recovery in prices, you know, through as we hit Christmas, New Year, and then the break, obviously. But then post the break in January, prices continue to climb for cattle and and sheep and lamb. So we had a few peaks in pricing, or at least recent peaks, you know, compared to or rebounded from the lows that we saw last year. Um, and since about mid-Jan, prices have been a little bit on the slide. So through through February, um, if you look at something like heavy steer, it's down about 10%. I think lamb's down nearly 20% and mutton's down about 30%. 20, so, 20%, 20% is a big drop, though. From the peak, yeah. But it, it, I had a good look just during the week because it, it, it looked to me – that it must have been something, obviously, the basis of supply and demand. And, and I know that you know the, the export data showed that we had a really strong start to 2024 for beef and sheep meat exports. So it can't be that demand is faltering. Um, so I had a look at supply. And yeah, but that, see... that, that demand would have been exports in January would have been in December. No, no, no. I'm no, no, about the, no yeah. but exp- that business would have been done in December or November. As in ordered in and stuff, yeah, yeah. All those all those animals would have been slaughtered in December or November. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that so the so flows, yeah. So the flows, there will be a lag on those flows. Slight, slight lag, yeah. But it, the numbers I'm talking about for the start of January, the January export figures. So you could, you know, you're capturing basically what's happened since. Yeah, but I'm, just, I'm just thinking sort of spitballing here. Yeah, mm. if you've got the 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 price at the sales yard, yeah. Mm versus the export volumes there's going to be a month lag between those not quite some markets it depends on the market like if you're talking sheep meat to the middle east that has to go out pretty much you know a day or so after it's slaughtered because they like it as fresh as possible you know so and it get a lot of it gets air freighted too with it when there's capacity there so whereas ones that are on a on a, sh- on a container ship that'd be yeah, a bit more of a longer process going to mm. you know say yeah, america but, yeah but most of it's going to go in a container ship a lot of it yeah, the bulk of it's the container bulk ship. So Frozen on container ship, yep. So there's going to be a big gap between the two. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, that's, I mean, maybe, still maybe a... that's something you should look at. Yeah, if the data if the data was there to see what's the standard flows, you've got to remember it's a perishable product. It's not a it's not a simple thing like trading grain in export no, no, markets. No, yeah. not frozen, though, is it? Frozen is it's non-perishable. Well, yeah, but it but it still has it still has a use by that, you know, and some markets. Yeah, but it's don't... not it's not okay, Monday will Go to the sales yard at Wagga, and then by Thursday it's on a boat. 
No, it's got the car. Yeah, no, it's. Yeah, I don't think it's that quick, but exactly. You know, it's it's, it's probably it, it, there's less of a time impediment than what you'd get to trading grains and exporting or trading, say, wool or something, right? More of a time yeah. impediment. That's what I meant. As in, you've got to go. No, quicker. but you said yeah. less. You said yeah. less. Though. Yeah, it just it's very early in the morning for me, Andrew. It's only you know ten thirty. So you know, the, you know, I'm like the brain doesn't always function mm. till about till about nine o'clock at night. I feel my brain's sort of uh, obviously working overdrive with all the coffees I've had this morning. Mm. Um, so, so I'll just finish that. It's the, I was just about to say this before you took me off on a tangent there about you know logistics of exports. So if you look at say. Um, Throughput on the east coast for cattle, February the first three weeks of February there was eighty two percent more cattle at the sale yard this year than what there was last January, and last January was already above average. So, you know, you're talking pretty strong volumes if you compare cattle so to is the that, is that is that demand from the buyer or is that demand for sale oh, well, it's, from the seller or a bit of both? Well, it, well, it's 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 more being presented, and and I think the rebound in prices probably helped. You know, and also if you think about across the we did have a wet January, so some probably held back a bit through January, and then the, you know the, the market in the south, at least for in terms of weather, February's been a bit drier, a bit hotter, which is finally the summer's arrived. Um, so maybe that you know sort of curing off of paddock and have you, you know, have, you, have you got your Wi-Fi on? Yep, hmm. and I'm connected. Okay. Um, yeah, there was a bit of curing off of, the, of paddocks in the south, so so maybe that final dry finish to summer was enough to get a bit of volumes moving to the sale yard. So sell, so higher higher volumes being presented basically, and there has been higher slaughter as well. So you know processes are working through them, but you know we did see price come off. Um, but I think it's that strong volumes. I think for for, for lamb and sheep wasn't as high as cattle at seventy eight percent. It was something nearly I think it was about twenty eight percent. Both cattle, uh, both sheep and and mutton, uh, lamb, twenty eight percent higher volumes in February than than February last year. So there's enough supply there to just take a little bit of the, you know, um, strength out of pricing. But I think all things considered, the, the price fall hasn't been too bad considering how strong that supply's been. What about the one of the things I see a lot on social media the last couple of days is people can East Coasters to an extent, maybe South Australians. Getting yep. frustrated by animals coming across an elbow. What's the yeah yeah? There's not uh, there's not as well. I looked at the numbers up to the end of January, uh, end of December. So the January figures haven't been released yet for for trans, transfers west to east. Um, but, <clears> and we saw December was about on average about thirty five thousand head. But October November, when you usually see big numbers coming from the west, they didn't they didn't come. Uh, at all, really. So, uh, if you look at the last quarter of of 2023, it was down on on average levels. Um, and I think, I mean, part of it was probably, uh, I mean, because pricing there is low, but it, you know, it could have been uh, transport and logistic issues there and costs to get across, uh, or the demand wasn't there from the east because, you know, we had, um, you know, we had uh, lack of confidence in that back end of 2023. Yeah, the producer, it wasn't until about December that the confidence returned into the market. So, and that was when we saw those flows pick up again. So maybe the buying interest wasn't there in the east and they had nowhere to go. So probably part of the reason why the, the prices in the west continue to be much softer than the eastern side and have taken longer to to recover as well from, from those lows of last year. Mm. What about cost of living? You've done some of that CPI stuff. 
Uh, yeah, um, red meat's pretty much turned because that's what because that's what we're seeing. That's going to be the that's going to be the new story for next year. Is mm. all the supermarket stuff with uh, what's his name, the Woolworth CEO right. who did a woeful interview on Four Corners, and has been. Uh, I don't know if he's retired or if he's been. He's just. Sacked. I think he just decided. No, well, he's decided to step. Down, I think. Down. Was, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Oh, I didn't so, know so he's, step, he's, he's stepping down from CEO to what? Oh, no, out out of the company, or is he going to yeah, become yeah, no, a, a shelf stacker at the local yeah, uh, Woolworths? Yeah. The person that stands there and watches you do your self self checkout. Self checkout. Make, make sure you don't put potato uh, mangoes through as potatoes. Um, Oni- yeah. Onions. Onions are cheaper. Um, yeah, it was funny because actually watching it, you remember we had that podcast with Dimity Smith just recently and we spoke about the PR machine in big companies and how they think they're uh-huh. controlling the narrative and all that. And then what well, this week we see because the the camera kept rolling if you've seen the footage. Yeah. And and the, and obviously that must be the Woolies PR person when he said, Oh, I've had enough and went to get up. Because that, that's never a good look, right? When you walk away from an interview in that fashion. Yeah, but uh, the, we're, we're not going to record this. This we're going to yeah. edit out. We're going to and he's like, no, we're on the record. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and it's and it's like the it is a sort of a naivety to think that just because you're a big company that you can or a small company or whoever that you can control the narrative. The narrative is the narrative, and I think he just got himself muddled up on one or two words. Well, I think it was criticizing Rod Sims as well that, that he just that, recently he, recently retired or whatever. So yeah, which is it's, a fact. Um, he has retired. That doesn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Uh, it was. It made for uncomfortable viewing. I'm sure for for, for them. The, for the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, given how much you and I know that people in those big organisations get trained in the media and how frequently they're talking to the media, it, I was surprised of the catch out because the because the Coles CEO, uh, she was much better. Seemed, seemed to be much better prepared and seemed to have the you know, the talking points ready to go, you know. So when there were some difficult questions being asked, she managed to deflect and diffuse reasonably successfully, I thought. I still, I just still feel that I much prefer if people are just natural and not running off a script. Yeah. It just, it just comes across wrong. I agree. Uh, sorry, let me just read my script. Uh, oh. what, what we're going to say next. Uh, so CPI. <laughs> oh yeah, so red red meat has turned the lamb uh, re- retail at the lamb uh, lamb at the retail level, I should say, uh, breaking this mouth in for an idiot. Um, that's dropped about twelve percent last quarter, so that's been the bigger one coming off. But a lot of that has a bit of discounting in the lead up to Australia Day, I think, and and Christmas, of course. It's one of those items that does get people into the store. So maybe you know, maybe at the retail level, they were happy to take lower margins or maybe even loss lead for, for, for you know, for those lamb discounts. Uh, and that's kind of flowed through, but cattle and beef, well, cattle pricing have come off for the sale, yeah, but beef at the retail levels, and they've been falling a bit, about, about a percent or so per quarter. So it's kind of eased slightly, but then, you know, beef's the, the type of cut that a lot of consumers like to get if they can afford it in terms of meat consumers. So it probably takes a bit longer to, you know, have a deflationary trend. What about beer? Is there any beer? Uh, I think al- alcohol was off as well. Um, the, the, that, uh, the CPI for... No, no, that is. It's because everyone's going uh, dry January. 
is, is that is that it yeah there's 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 october there's dry january there's there's isn't there a few of them through the year when you have no drinks i've never i've never participated in those dry events no i just i just uh have moderation and that's it mm. um yes yeah, so i think that's going to be an interesting one that's going to that's going to be the election isn't it cost of living Oh yeah, yeah I know, absolutely. Did you see this morning? We're on a bit of a tangent away from markets and more reviewing the news now at this point. Mm. But did you see in the? Uh, I'm going to Google it while I'm on. But the Greens came out this morning with something about supermarkets. Um, basically about well, one, the inquiry. The inquiry oh, they want to place this year, right? So no, they they want to uh, regulate supermarkets. Okay. Right. Well, maybe we should just maybe the government should just buy the supermarkets out and um, you know buy the supermarkets out and just what is it? The, mo the motion. The, the motion will call on it's the Victorian government, obviously, okay. uh, to use the power under the Essential Services Commission Act to declare supermarkets a regulated industry. This gives the Central Service Commission authority to stop supermarkets from price gouging customers, ensure the commissioners continue monitoring report on supermarket prices mm. competition. Mm. Oh, you know, just just let the well, government take look, over look, all, all of the look, industries and it, they can run it. I'm happy. Like, remember the you might remember the old days, Matt. You know, in Soviet Russia, where you queued for. Well, look, <laughs> I, I, actually, to be honest, I, I'll, I'll talk from a sort of a personal point of view. Like when I was in North Korea, I saw people queuing for water and people queuing mm. for bread. It was a regulated supermarket. And mm. regulated water supply, and everyone and and equitable because everyone got equitable. The same everyone treatment. got everyone got the same <clears throat> shit treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. So anyway, that's that's interesting that, that the greens are sort of going to the price gouging, but it's an interesting one because it is being fair for the farmers and fair for consumers. But I wonder, like, how much price gouging is actually going on? Because if you average the profits over the population, it's something only like eighty dollars per person. Yeah, it's not it's not a big amount uh, when you look at it like that. I think um, even 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 when you look for that four corners piece, when they looked at um, their profit margins, were I think they were pretty consistent for both Coles and Woolies. They were higher than they were oh, higher both, profit margins. Both than, consistent from each other. Are you trying to insinuate well, that there's you know price fixing and whatnot and collusion? That, Surely nah. that doesn't happen. Surely nah, that doesn't happen I, in Australia. I, I don't think it happens. Uh, there's only so much money you can make as a supermarket. Mm. Yeah, and again, I mean, they, they they drew the analogy between what happens in the UK and and the the, the, the bigger number of offerings in terms of or lower market share for UK supermarkets versus Australia. But then they did make the point that that, and I've, I think we've spoken about this on previous podcasts in in looking at market power and concentration in like banking or airlines or supermarkets or whatever that Australian population means that there's only a, a certain small pool of consumers so you know you can't expect to have 50 different retailers you know of reasonable size in, a, in a, such a small population we're not America with 300 odd million people or the UK with 65 million people or whatever they've got Seventy-five. So you, you know, yeah, you probably got to have a much bigger population to then have a super another supermarket chain that's an international one. Say, let's go to Australia and you know target them. Well, I mean, we don't even have a car industry anymore here in Australia because we're probably you know we well, import the UK, all our stuff. The UK barely has a car industry and it's got seventy-five million. 
Yeah. I, but maybe that's the solution then. Bigger. Well, I didn't. One of the politicians ages back used to talk about growing into a big Australia. But then Dick Smith came out and said we can't. We can't have all these extra people coming in because it's <clears> environmentally <throat> not 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 sound. You know, we don't have the infrastructure. Need a, need a baby boom. You know what we should do then? The government should do right. <clears throat> well, you know, give money are. to people. Give money to people for having babies. I think we tried that one before. Nah, because that's expensive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to got to pay them ten grand or whatever to have a baby or some countries pay like like in the UK you get a child benefit allowance yeah mm-hmm. the child benefit allowance is the most common welfare thing every person gets it but basically every kid gets like from birth to eighteen they get twelve pounds a week and it just goes straight to the mother or parents. <clears throat> uh, that's an expensive way of doing it, yeah? It's a couple of billion dollars, whatever. What you got to do, right, is set selective taxes on different products. You've got taxes on alcohol and cigarettes are like through the roof, yeah? Mm-hmm. Tax condoms. <laughs> 500% tax on condoms. Mm-hmm. And then people will stop using them. Yeah, and then then we've we got a baby boom. Um, or, you know, tax any contraceptive type process, you know. Power cuts. Rolling, already, uh, self, self, already, self Australia's already, got rolling power cuts. So maybe we'll see a baby boom there. So, so rolling power cuts uh, make TV really boring. They're already doing that. They're doing that. Yeah. And tax condoms. Mm. Well, I don't, maybe you should... Start your own party. This is a hell of a Hoiberg tangent. A tangent is a Hoiberg tangent. Uh, Chris Hoiberg's going to be annoyed with these tangents. Too bad. Didn't we say we're just going to do a quick market update? I did. We haven't started on Grange yet. I did get a text message from someone the other day about that podcast, last week's podcast. Mm. Uh, Is that the Dimini Smith one? Yep. Uh, good to see uh, someone taking over and having more tangents <laughs> than you. <laughs> and she, t- she did. She actually did. It was the first time we've had a guest on that managed to keep you quiet. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just. I'm, I, people forget that I'm actually quite a quiet person. If you look at the audio and <laughs> on these podcasts, I'm speaking less than anyone else on every really. Podcast. Really? I find that hard to believe. I just see very short, sharp things, and that's oh, it. And, just, and, and everyone else, and everyone else waffles on fridges. I'm just straight into the point. Taxes on condoms, rolling power cuts, uh, power cuts on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. That's it. Six months, nine months, six months. There's my. Biology. What are you? What are you going to call your party? Family first, or? Um. Yeah, we'll have a think about that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there was a family first. Um, Righto. Uh, I guess we should talk about markets. As well, we did with livestock. And well, your, your... we could call this a market and news update because really we've talked about the news and the markets and healthcare. Mm-hmm. Jeez, we are a pair of... <laughs> <laughs> a pair of multidisciplinary analysts. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, we, have, we haven't even we haven't even started on China cutting. I haven't, even, I haven't even thought about my moustache yet. No. <laughs> I have to admit, I, I keep I can't I can't take my eyes off it. It's, 
Mm. It's uh, anyway. Has Auntie Julie seen the moustache pictures or what? Did she comment? Yeah, I think I put publicly. The, I think I put it on the family uh, group. Your chat. family thing. And did, was that how many comments regards the the Begbie character from Trainspotting did you get from the from the people back home in the I old think, country? In fact, my nephew was the first one. I don't know <laughs> my parents have seen Trainspotting. Um, they've lived it. it. They've lived it. And my mother says she doesn't like the beard, but she doesn't like the mustache either. So, 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 is she giving you which out of the what's the worst of two evils, the beard or the mustache? I reckon the mustache. For you, from your mum's perspective, yeah. Linda doesn't that's, like that's, that. That's the first time I've really seen my face in so long. Yeah, it makes you look younger. That's for sure. Well, and it makes you and makes you a bigger target when you when you're doing your boxing now. They can, they know where your chin finishes. You forget that I am young, Matt. Right, markets grains. Yep. Uh, wheat, I guess, would be the first one to talk about. It's been uh, a bit up and down. Eh, more down than up, I would say, um, which is also one of the problems why we're not having a baby boom. Um, we've basically seen since the sort of middle of last year, the market sort of sliding back down. And I think that's reflective of the fact that we did have those big high years, uh, the Ukrainian war, things are starting to settle down. Mm. And so, so the volumes are coming out of Ukraine, uh, but we are sort of seeing it sliding back down. It's basically been a continual slide since September, if we look at sort of the trend line. And that's across, you know, Matif in France, Seabot, uh, uh, and, and Aussie and Aussie wheat. And I think it's, look, it's, it's one of those things where like the market is still historically, it's probably back to more closer to average levels for the last sort of five, six years, or, or, or but definitely lower than that Ukraine invasion. Mm. But I think what we're sort of starting to see now is, you know, the corn market is is looking sort of reasonably well, well really well supplied. Like US stocks are huge. Uh, those yields over there for corn are just increasing year by year. It's almost like genetic modification creates pretty strong yields. Um, and that and that's what's occurring is we've got that biofuels industry is you know pushing for higher production and that the yields are flowing through. Brazil's not having as good a year, but Argentina has picking up the slack. Uh, so we're really talking to me. The biggest thing is that it's a corn market at the moment, not a wheat market. The corn market is what's driving wheat because if we looked just just in isolation at wheat, you'd be like, this market is going to go flying. You know, if we look at the top eight exporters of wheat around the world and we look at their stocks to use ratio, it's pretty low. And so stocks to use ratio, you know, indicator of supply and demand. So what's left after everything is used, basically. And um, basically what we're seeing is that it's about 13%, something like that off the top of my head. But that's sort of the joint lowest since the turn of the century. Is that... Also, though, because of if you, I think you've looked at this in the past where you took out China and then India. No, because and, I'm talking about the top eight exporters, Matt. If you just, uh, listen, okay. if you, uh, yeah, if you just listen. No, no, no. I mean, like when you're looking at stocks to use, you know, just of the just of the top exporters, not the. I tend I tend to look at many things, Matthew, because both of us have not got a life. <laughs> um, and I, I will bring up a chart. No one uh, will be able to see it. No one will be able to see it. Neither of you, but like if we look at say the world, mm. we're talking a I'm going to use it 33 percent something like that stock to use ratio, which is quite high. 
Mm. That's pretty. That's a well-supplied marketplace uh, for wheat. If we take China out of the equation, it's twenty percent, which then and that's all the countries excluded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then that becomes a little bit tighter. But really, what I think is more important is the top eight exporters. Uh, the reason being is that those top eight exporters are the ones where the available grain comes from, the available wheat comes from. So that, to me, points towards a very tight environment for exporters to send to countries of deficit. <clears throat> but you also got a glut of corn, which can be used for feed, uh, biofuels, whatever else. So those products, in many cases, obviously not for bread, but in many cases, corn is a replaceable product, especially in the feed industry, which makes up a significant proportion of our trade. So that's why I think the market is really a corn market at the moment, and probably has been for the last 20 years, to be honest. There'd be a few listeners in Louisiana and down South America, in the south part of America, would say you could make corn bread. Yeah, true, it's a bit true. of a staple, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, corn bread and a bit of bootleg whiskey. Yeah, it tastes like yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, and that's one of the things I think is that farms are going to be aware of is the markets do fluctuate up and down. And we've had a good couple of years. We've had some fantastic years in terms of production. We've had fantastic years in terms of pricing at the same time that we've had high production in Australia. Mm. I think we're going into back into another period of maybe not low pricing, historically speaking, but back to significantly lower levels than we experienced in, say, 2022 and early 2023. Um, and we just got to hope that we do get the production. Let's talk of La Nina and whatever else. Uh, that's still too far away to really judge whether that will be the case or not. But if we get La Nina, that would be good for productivity. But I do think we're in a period of uh, low pricing or lower pricing, or at least for this quarter, because we still it's still only February, mm. and nothing happens in grains really until. Northern Hemisphere comes out of sleep. Middle of the year. Yeah, so April, end of March, April is when start, things start to sort of get sort of a little bit more more exciting. I think uh, the only other things is like the fertilizer mm. at the moment. You know, we've got a lot of, again, it's like clockwork. Like it's, it's honestly like just clockwork. Basically the first two months a year Oh, something's gone wrong. We can't wow. Big fire. Big fire well, in big, Australia. Big, big fire in one facility. Um, so anyway, we've got those stories emerging again. Get your orders in. Get your orders in before you miss, it, miss out. Um, but basically, if we look at urea, I just updated some numbers this morning. It is up a little bit on our model uh, for, for February uh, replacement value. Uh, so we're up in the sort of the mid Early, hold on a second. What am I talking about? Let me just bring up the screen. Yeah, so the low sort of 600s at the moment in Aussie dollar terms delivered into Australia. Uh, but there are cargoes on the way. Mm. What so, is, is the global gas pricing been under a bit of pressure though of late? So well, is that 
Well, it's like gas pricing is a good indicator for energy. And it, obviously we spoke to Chris Lawson about this in the past, that gas is a good sort of source for some plants around the world. But if you look at the sort of the general energy market, like obviously a lot of coal in China, I think we talked about that, mm. Chris, a long time ago, coal gets used to make urea and a lot of chemicals in China because they don't have quite the same uh, emission standards as, say, Europe or the USA. And uh, so that has been sliding. But at the moment, you know, you're looking at at least 10 cargos at the moment of urea. On its way? On the way. Mm -hmm. or, or at least booked. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that Red Sea issue does cause a bit of concern. Um, but we shall see. Uh, and another news as well is that phosphates. Uh, phosphates in Australia uh, have been sort of pretty flat I would say for the past sort of couple of months, about the mid 800s. Uh, but also at the same time, uh, China has had that effective ban or no export ins inspections or export certificates for quite some time. And it looks like that will open up in March. It might be too late for Australia, might not, but we shall we shall see. Right. And, and maybe that's the other thing we should talk about, actually, China. Yeah. Um. I was really, I, what have I said for the last three years since, or four years since the Chinese barley ban? As soon as they open up, they'll go to being number one very quickly. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I think actually what I said, they'd be the biggest buyer in the first year post mm -hmm. that I've been removed. Yeah. Cause like you said, they, they pay the m most for it and the trade will just send it where they get the most for bang for buck. I was actually surprised by how... It didn't take long, did it? It was a handful well, of months. Well, that's what surprised me the most is how yeah. quickly. Like, if we look at the numbers, like 75% of all the barley that left Australian shores between September and the end of December was going to China. 90% mm. of it in December was destined for China. So that is, that is crazy numbers, and that is huge numbers. And I'm not sure they can maintain that kind of pace at the high... At 90s or whatever, but December is the highest month of the year for exports, and they had 90% of it go out. So I think mm -hmm. uh, I probably should have kept a list of all the people I had a bet with. And mm -hmm. I think David McKean, from, uh, who's formerly the CEO of Grain Growers and uh, now Elders, I think I made a bet with him. So I'll expect a beer from him at some point. Uh, but that's really it, isn't it? I think that's probably mm -hmm. it for grains. Yeah, no, that, that sounds good. I mean, the only thing interesting out of China, just to wrap up, I won't take too long on it, but was that surprise reduction in their lending rates uh, that they did just, I think, two days ago. And it, the interesting thing was that they well, the cut... US dollars lost value off the back of that as well. Yeah, and it's because, I think it's because it's it's quite an interesting one because they haven't... Usually when they cut rates, most central banks will cut the short-term rate, like the cash rate. But in this instance, the Chinese have weighed on the, the further date of the, the bond rate for five years, and they've left the cash rate unchanged at the moment, effectively. So um, what, and that, so, so what's, that, what's the purpose of that? Well, I think they're trying to stimulate housing demand. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but the thing is, when the way they've done it, it tends to put pressure on banks' balance sheets because banks tend to lend longer term. Hmm. So cutting that, cutting that rate has <clears> actually put pressure on their margin more and then that's kind of impacted their balance sheet. So the, I think they're not going to get the, the the desired effect. And 
ones with with housing and, and that type of stuff it's it's very much confidence driven too so people aren't even though the rates come off people don't necessarily respond straight away and if you think about it the, the same the japanese government tries especially to do when thing. things like evergreen that yeah like correct collapsing collapse. so yeah and so people if there's no confidence because people think building companies might collapse they're not going to borrow because they're not sure the company's going to be there long term to build the prop, you know, the property. So, and and a similar thing happened in Japan about a decade ago where they cut, you know, their, their rates. And it, what it actually did was, you know, kind of made the housing market stall because it just dropped the confidence. And J- yeah. Japan took about ten years to recover. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But anyway, we'll, uh, that might just be a wait and see. I think. Hey. Anything else? Anything else in the news? No, I think that's about it, I reckon. Um, yeah. Right, oh. Yep, all right. See you when you got nothing on. Ciao for now.